Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Esports Boom podcast, um, your weekly esports business news wrap-up and commentary. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Anton Ferraro. Anton, how are you? I'm doing very good. Uh, excited to be here. Fifth time now. Yeah, and today we have a, we have a very special guest. We have Matt Kaliski from Rubicon Ventures. Uh, thank you very much for joining, Matt. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So um, actually, last week we talked about Maestro, um, and we figured we might as well get someone who was actually invested in the company. So Matt, uh, Matt is a VC. Um, obviously, Rubicon is is a, is a household name in, in the VC world. But what makes you know Matt especially interesting, besides that he obviously invested in Maestro, is that he kind of spearheads the company's esports ventures. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, we'll get to we'll get to Maestro later, and we'll and we'll, we'll ask him too many questions, and <laughs> we'll give him the hardballs. But um, I think it's it's good to start with a with a good story, and you know I'll I'll just I'll just start right away. So I think the the story that really was interesting to me was that was everything surrounding Optic this week. So um, Optic, uh, as was reported once again by by uh, Wolf from ESPN. Um, there was an investment deal which was led uh, by Texas Rangers co-owner and Summer Energy CEO Neil Liebman, um, and they acquired the uh, they acquired or at least they bought it into uh, into Optic. So with that, obviously came a lot of money. So the team acquired the Overwatch League spot in Houston, which is where Liebman is based. Obviously, the Dallas spot what, what already went to uh, Texas Rangers co-owner, another owner of the Texas Rangers. Um, and uh, that was for $20 million. That's more expensive than some of the other deals, at least from, from what we know in the press. Um, and uh, Cheney actually hired former PvP writer uh, James Chen to recruit personnel for Optic's League of Legends team because Optic is actually going to um, make a bid for the uh, LCS, or they have made a, have made a bid. Uh, so, yeah, that's there's some other interesting facts in the article that we're going to talk about later, but... Um, Anton, tell me, well, what are your thoughts? So I actually reached out to James to ask him about his uh, optic endeavors, and I got a friendly no comment. You know, he, I, I respect that. Um, he's a good friend. He's been around in the League of Legends space for a long time, so I think that optic is making some good moves. I think it's interesting that I think it was the two Rangers guys that bought optic and Envy because those two are basically sister teams for a long time. So you know, you know they're keeping the synergy going. Um, I know that Optic has now made it to phase two of the LCS selection process, and knowing some of the people that got rejected during phase one, it's pretty interesting. I think that the other one that also needs to be said is that Overwatch is making everybody rebrand, and the biggest value that Optic brings to all these is their powerful esports brand, the Green Wall. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a wink and a nudge in terms of like, oh, it's not Optic, but it's you know some other, the Green Turtles team. Um, I mean, Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I continue to think that it makes sense for team owners and stadium owners to invest into teams. But from where I sit on the VC side, I just don't see it as the right use of capital. But I do see um, you know, those teams that have those assets in place um, and they have the infrastructure. I think that's great. Um, I just don't know if the value of a Houston um, franchise is worth the 20 million bucks compared to some of the other markets yeah, that's, in the US. I think when it comes to the Texas market, Dallas is is the best. I mean, we talked about this, I think, a couple couple of weeks ago about how Dallas has a, has a large history in esports. Not only in esports, the um, 
I was actually just talking with some people from the retro gaming community. So that's a community that's really big in Dallas as well. So it's important. And they have, they, I was talking to them and I was like, oh, so you guys get, you know, a couple thousand people to some of your events. Like would some of those people go and, and watch an Overwatch game once in a while? Because those are mainstream, you know, casual fans. And they, they were saying, yeah, of course, like we play Overwatch. Like, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll support our local team come a couple times a year. So I don't think Houston has that as much, but what was really interesting talking about Houston was that um, uh, Wolf reported that the Overwatch developer, obviously Blizzard, they sought for other options and they actually went to the Houston Rockets and the Houston Rockets turned them down. Um, and um, so I have an anecdote that I think is super interesting yeah. is the guy, the GM of the Houston Rockets, who's an MIT graduate, um, I forget his name off the top of my head, sat on the board of MLG for about two or three years. So he knows everything that MLG and the Overwatch team is pitching him from the inside out, having seen all the investments and having seen all the returns. So having him basically say, thanks, but no thanks, or maybe they're still in negotiation is really telling. Well, they might be still in negotiation. Um, the only thing I can tell is that uh, Sebastian Park, who is the uh, head of the esports for the Rockets, he knows what he's talking. He knows what he's doing, and I and I remember at E three having some conversation with him about about Overwatch. And this is a, this is not a scoop or anything. And he was saying that he's they were looking at it very very critically uh, back then. So and that's and that's and it's kind of a trend that you see. I mean, look at the teams. Um, if you look at teams that have a kind of a head of esports but don't ha- don't own a team, right? They're very bullish towards, or not bullish towards the uh, towards the Overwatch League. Yeah, no, I mean, there's. Um, I've also crossed paths with some of the people in the Edens camp, and when I talked to them about two months ago, they were also kind of, you know, trying to evaluate Overwatch. They weren't 100% sold on it. Um, so, I mean, getting optic for you know the Overwatch League is huge. Getting optic for the LCS is huge. I think you know they bring a strong brand. They execute well in the space, and they have a good track record. Um, you know. All these fees, you know, they're scheduled to be paid over time. I'm sure that there's clawback provisions in them. I think that, you know, 20 million is a nice round number that looks great in the press. I I would not be surprised if these slots are actually going for somewhere a little bit less than that mm-hmm. than what's actually publicized. Yeah, um, and further on your point about Optic, um, Optic is a team where, and it's very unique, where fans don't watch their games because it's a particular player that they like. They watch it because they love the green wall. Um, the CEO Hector by himself is a social media celebrity. Like clearly, they know they know how to market to a younger audience, and uh, especially for Overwatch, which you know has a younger base than League of Legends, it's incredibly valuable. So it's 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 very good for Blizzard. And surprisingly, they're they're looking like they're 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 years. They're going they're going to have uh, quite a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, totally. I think that the other one that was actually interesting on this same topic, and Matt, it'd be interesting to get your perspective in terms of the venture world, what the venture world is experiencing with LPs. Um, when Blizzard first announced the Overwatch League maybe two years ago, they showed a map that had icons on everywhere where they wanted uh, teams to exist. And right now what you're seeing is, you know, you have, I think it's two Korean teams, maybe. One, one or, Korean. One Korean team. Two LA teams. One Korean team, one European team, and everything else is in America. North one, America. one Chinese team as well. There is a Chinese yeah. team? They're, they're owned by NetEase, which is the publisher of Overwatch in China. Okay, I thought that was the second Korean team. I, I, no, they're in Shanghai. 
Okay, so the Esports Observer article that came out today said, that I think it said that there was no teams, I'll have to double check, from mm -hmm. China. Um, and what we saw a couple of weeks ago was that China limited the outflow of capital from the Chinese mainland into U.S. entertainment um, ventures. Um, have you experienced anything in the VC world or have people been talking about, you know, China kind of closing off its borders a little bit? I think on the LP side, they have, and that's been going on for a few months. Um, they are, I think the limit is like 50,000 won per year, which is impacting the way people are trying to get money out of China, which is why you're seeing such a huge rise in cryptocurrency, right? That's one way to get money out of the country when they don't let you to get it out. Um, we have seen a slowdown, um, so we do have some um, Asian uh, Chinese LPs um, in our fund, but we do see a lot of very active Chinese-based or VC funds that have Chinese capital that are very active in that space, um, investing into esports-related technology startups, but also into teams. But I do think that that controlling aspect of the Chinese government has really slowed down, and I think um, what happened with the AMC buyout has also impacted negatively um, how much capital is going into the entertainment space. But it, it might just be that Overwatch is not that popular in China. Now, do you know if, I mean, Mo, Matt, do you know if uh, in the US, I think Overwatch is sold as a product? And in China, most of the games are free to play. Do we know if it's a free title in China? I, I do not know that. Um, I, I, if I would guess, I know it's NetEast is the publisher, and it's not Tencent. Tencent used, is doing free to play. I think there's a barrier to entry there. I think you need to put down some money at least for Overwatch. Yeah, and that would definitely slow down their progress in that yeah. market. So I think we've kind of beaten the Overwatch topic to death, and um, I'd like to move on to my most interesting stories. I think that whenever you have a major launch in the esports world, you know, there's a lot of fanfare, but it's also uh, important to kind of look at the failures along the way or, you know, the hiccups just to learn from them. Um, one of my favorite comments that I ever heard about esports is that the esports grave is nameless. Um, so, you know, in an effort to remedy that, let's take a look at Boomio. Um, Boomio was a WME IMG backed effort that uh, was basically a training platform for Counter-Strike. Um, the, the team that was previously WME IMG, one of the verticals that they were really going after was education. So they had things like the, e the IMG Esports Academy, they had things like Boomio, which at this point, from what I'm told, have been shut down. I've heard that the expenditure on WME side was in the high seven figures. Um, and coming from a world where I tried to build a tech product at a streaming platform, I think it's very hard to do so in an environment where there's multiple stakeholders. Um, when you're trying to build something like Boomio, you, your company needs to be fully focused on it. Um, and it's when you're competing for resources within a larger organization with, and you're working with probably with staff that doesn't 100% specialize in it, um, it's kind of hard to succeed. I do, uh, I think Simon from the WME IMG team said that, you know, they're going to pivot out and, um, you know, develop it on their own. Um, so props for them to for keeping going. Not really surprised to see it happen. Um, kind of, you know, kind of a little upset that WME IMG's, you know, experience in the esports space has been lukewarm. Um, but yeah, I'm interested on your thoughts. What do you guys think? So, um, Matt, we'll get to your thoughts in a second. So I think it's particularly interesting from you, especially knowing that WME IMG is kind of being more of a VC kind of role. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I would I actually would love to hear what you think. Yeah, so I think WMG, WMEIMG, sorry, 
is quite interesting because they both have you know this agency. Um, they had this esports vertical, but they also have a dedicated WMU Ventures, which does a lot of investments in esports, AR, VR, and frontier technology. Um, so they're obviously were full into this. Uh, the issue is, you know, whenever we work with brands or agencies, and Mo, like you were saying, when they bring in people that don't have the particular talents or expertise to build a tech product, which is completely different than coming up with a marketing strategy, you know, building a product roadmap, getting the funding, getting the initial testing is much more difficult than a lot of people think. Um, so, you know, you hate to see a startup fail, but it's, you know, you can kind of see the forest through the trees when you see somebody trying to create a platform yeah, internally. And, and just to use another analogy, I mean, I think WMEIMG is a warship, right? So they pick a location and then they go slowly, slowly to that location and no one, they have so much power that it's really difficult for, for anyone to stop them. But if you're a startup, especially in a, in a place as vibrant as the, esports, as the esports world, you need a jet ski, right? You need, you need something that can, that can move around quickly and that can go from, that can, that can pivot if necessary. And that is really, really difficult to do um, when you're working with WMIMG. And I think knowing from the tweets and the reactions of the WMIMG staff, you know, whether it's Tobias earlier on or whether it's Simon now, it is clear that they were very thankful for WMIMG and helping them reach these goals and, and, and trusting them. But their biggest problem was, you know, it's, it's really tough to work with. Uh, they're not flexible enough and they can't be flexible enough. Absolutely. So I think this is also a great segue into uh, Matt's area of expertise. Uh, so, Maurice, I'm going to pass this off to you. Let's, uh, let's interrogate Matt about Maestro. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think we have, a, we have a very good, you know, partnership here with Anton and I because Anton has a lot of production and tech experience. I do not, so um, I will ask you know the basic questions. Uh, maybe maybe one or two hard balls, and then and then then Anton will hit it with some more technical questions. <laughs> but but you know just just to be honest, you know obviously we're, we're extremely happy for and, and excited that Matt's here, um, and and we're excited about about Maestro as well, and that's why we, we wanted to have you on to learn more about the product. Um, you know, so first of all, it's it's the obvious question. So can you explain to our audience what is Maestro? Sure. Maestro is a white label solution that enables publishers and enterprise streamers to host their own content on their own website and then also distribute it through other platforms. But it's meant to be a way to better engage with, analyze, and monetize your viewers and, you know, through different overlays, the different quests. But it's a really easy to use content management system that allows anybody and everybody um, to use it, to, to engage with the viewers at key moments during the gameplay. And I think what's really interesting what you said about the WME battleship analogy, because I know you guys will ask me about Twitch extensions and how does, how does that affect Maestro. And I think the analogy that you made was perfect, right? Twitch right now, I would say maybe it's more of a rudderless warship. I don't think they really know where they're going. They're trying to figure that out. Versus you have a small and nimble team um, that is actually tackling uh, the problem and that's all they're working on, right? It's not one of the many initiatives they have. This is the singular thing that they're working on to complete. Absolutely, and, and you know, you, very good preemptive thing <laughs> over, over there. But I think, you know, obviously, you made it very clear for, for I think, 
a large part of our listeners with Maestro's, but I think what really helped for me when I heard um, your, the CEO of Maestro speak at, at, at um, XLive was that he could give a, an example of what Maestro could do. So I think it's good for our audience to hear, you know, if you're a company, let's say you're, you're, um, you're a blizzard, mm-hmm. uh, what are the things, like how would a Maestro-enabled stream look like? Sure. So it would be fully customizable to have the brand of, you know, Blizzard. So everything is fully branded. It allows you to maintain control over your messaging, over how everything looks. Um, so you get people to come to your website. Um, you know, it can be that you're hosting or streaming to other platforms. But what's amazing is anytime there's a, you know, a great moment to engage with the audience, you can create different overlays. You can ask questions, you can do giveaways, you can do quests. So it's all about engaging and getting you to know your viewers better, but also giving them something in return, right? You can give away, um, you can have any kind of um, other ways, but what's really amazing is they can also engage them with buying decisions. So if there's a great move or a great headshot, all of a sudden you can enable commerce that's built on top of the platform. And whereas Twitch extensions doesn't really have a monetization option now, with Maestro, they allow you to control the entire experience. So you're actually controlling everything from beginning to end, and you get to keep much more of what you're doing. And I think that enables the publishers and the enterprise streamers to do much more because they get to have that data. They get to keep majority of that, and they decide how they want to brand it. Yeah, and I think the, the Twitch extensions, when it comes to monetization, they're limited. Uh, you have this, like, you know, you can you can do kind of a partner kind of limit uh, monetization where a streamer can put a certain product on there on Amazon and, and people can buy it and they, they get monetization from it. But what's really interesting, especially when we're looking at franchising leagues and, 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 and organi- organizations in esports, is um, let's say we're having the Overwatch League as an example and uh, NRG, one of their players, uh, has, an incredible, has an incredible headshot, like you said before. They can right away put the they can right away say like click here for this player's you know customizable skin that they have in the game and right away I mean how many you know if you're a fan and you're watching and you don't have that let's say there are a hundred thousand people watching and let's say you got a two percent conversion rate that's great no and I think I think the other thing that um, gaming publishers are starting to become wary of is their first experience with platforms affecting their bottom line was uh, Steam where. If you wanted to distribute your game on Steam, your t- Steam would take a 25% cut of their revenues. What now they're seeing is that Amazon is moving to this territory with trying to distribute uh, titles via Twitch streaming. You know, it's great, like you know, if you're reaching customers that you previously didn't have, but it becomes scary when that turns into your primary distribution method. And I think what Maestro kind of does, or what the goal is, is to kind of give some of that power back to the publishers through a white label service that's not necessarily going to be a situation. A situation where a platform meets the world. So I definitely see like the niche that Maestro seeks to fill. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit more than a niche. Um, my big bet is that we'll continue to see the unbundling of video, similar to how we see unbundling of consumer product groups or retails um, or any big conglomerate, because the platforms right now are essentially just a middleman. They don't really provide any, they don't share any data with the publishers, they don't provide any analytics to the brands, either they don't want to, but mostly they don't have incentives, right? Because what does Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube want? They want more people to spend more time on their own platforms. And at the end of the day, 
if the eyeballs are following the players and the teams and the leagues, the publishers should be able to have more control over that because they're the ones whose IP is driving traffic. So, you know, Maestro really enables them to have access to better understand their, their viewers, their fans, which will allow them to create a much more personalized um, experience. But at the end of the day, this is a business and you need to have sustainable revenues in order to make sure that this is an evolving and enduring industry. I, I mean, absolutely. Um, so I had some questions for Matt and, um, you know, I think we covered- I'm ready. <laughs> I really appreciate him coming. Um, <laughs> so this is, um, this is coming from the background of having tr uh, attempted to run a platform where the model was to buy content. Um, a lot of these premium content creators you know, their, one of their big revenue streams was selling the broadcast rights to uh, platforms, to TV stations. Um, so uh, premium content creators that are using Maestro have traditionally generated a lot of revenue from selling broadcast rights. Um, over the past decade, what you've seen are platforms like YouTube and Twitch decimate this revenue stream uh, with their efforts to reduce multi-homing. Multi-homing is basically a user's ability to successfully navigate from platform to platform. Um, what we saw happen most recently was with ECS migrating away from Twitch to YouTube and losing something like 75% of their viewership. At that point, that becomes incredibly painful for them because the reach that they promised to their existing sponsors, they're simply not able to attain. Uh, Matt, in your blog, you said that one of Maestro's strengths is, is to empower content creators with platform agnostic streaming. So my question is, how can Maestro assist content creators in migrations between platforms in a way that we'll see a larger their portion of their viewing audience stick around? That's a tough question. Um, you know, I don't think it has to be an either or, right? I think you can have a situation where it's a hybrid to begin with, because it will take time to get viewers and publishers to be comfortable with this. Um, you know, my technology is injected into the stream, so it can still be distributed to Facebook, through YouTube, um, through Twitch. But at the end of the day, I think right now, we're much more about being customer-centric, right? A lot of the 2.0 technologies that are coming out now that were first around the early 2000s are trying to focus on designing a better user experience. And when you're a publisher, you're a streamer, you're also a client of those large platforms. And if you look at Twitch extensions, right? Each one of them is a point solution, right? So they came out with, I think it was 20 extensions to begin with. Mm -hmm. But you can also you can only run four of them, right? So if you're a streamer and you have to manage, you know, four different things as well as play the game, you don't really have control over that. But if you have a whole platform from beginning to end that allows you to control that experience, to collect that data, but also distribute that video stream to wherever your fans are. But I think over time more publishers will want to have that control. So I think it's a hybrid approach to begin with. But my long-term goal is to get as many people, personally, is to get as many people away from Twitch as possible. I think there are a lot of people trying to do that. I think that, um, to, to your uh, comment, one of the biggest ones that uh, came out and said that they're taking on Twitch this week is Facebook mm -hmm. with their mm -hmm. uh, one billion, I think it was a, what, what did they say, one billion? Why am I thinking one billion? I don't think it's a billion, but they, they basically said one of like the core of their messaging, which they kind of explicitly said in an interview, was that they're all in on esports, and they're seeing the value of it, and they're not afraid to use their, their you know their war chest, their war chest to take on people like Twitch 
Uh, we saw that obviously with the Paladins League, and it's really interesting because it's not it's you know it's it's a up and coming esports title. It has a lot of potential. It's free to play, so it's it's good in the Chinese market, and, and it's good in general. It has some very solid viewership. But they're not only doing that; they're also they're also right away putting up a weekly Paladin show. Yeah. So that shows that they're willing. You know, if you would do this on Twitch, if Twitch would somehow buy the rights to the Paladins League. They wouldn't then put a, put some money behind it and say like, oh, we're gonna do a weekly highly produced show. Uh, no, and I, and I think with you know more of these platforms pivoting between media companies and platforms and pivoting now more closely to media companies, the uh, the war chests that are now accessible through Maestro, you know, they're becoming much more lucrative. So I definitely see the opportunity um, as these platforms battle each other out for content that you know. Um, Content creators need somebody on their side to help facilitate these moves and these migrations and, you know, capture the... Sure. But the other end of the spectrum is the large brands and advertisers that want to get exposure mm -hmm. into this space. Currently, they don't have the technology or the analytics to be able to deploy significant money into this space. So everything they're doing now is coming out of their experimental budget. Absolutely. Right? I haven't heard any any brand investments in the space above six figures. Yeah. That's because they don't have the analytics that they're used to, right? Large brands are used to ROIs, right? They want numbers. Um, they need to see data to be able to understand how they can deploy and measure the success of their campaigns. But none of the major platforms have the incentive to share that data, right? They do not know. That's where Maestro comes in, right? So it's much more than just hosting your own um, stream. It's about uh, generating the data and analytics to arm the big brands and the large um, advertisers to be able to deploy more money into the system. Right? Yeah, I, they need to, yeah. I mean, I, I really hope Maestro is able to do this because I think personally think it's ridiculous that when we're looking at some of the activations that I was part of in the traditional sports world, they have metrics for everything. And, you know, whether it is having a banner up in a stadium uh, where, like, they know or they, they, you know, a lot of these metrics are BS. Like, they say, like, oh, you know, there are 20,000 people walking past, and, they, and it's kind of a kind of a estimation. They don't really know it for sure, but they, they, they give a direct ROI. How, how, how precise that is is the question, but they at least do it. And when it comes to esports, you would think this is a dig like a digital native sport, so or genre of sports. So you would think that it's it's very it should be really easy, and this should be our strength. But unfortunately, it has is not only not our strength; it's actually one of our biggest weaknesses that's holding our, us back from from advertisers. And I I applaud anyone who is trying to uh, to at least tackle this problem. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I know Maestro works with, with some big publishers already. Um, I think you guys did some stuff with EA, if that's, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think your existing yeah. client roster is incredible. Yeah. I think you guys, like, what, the Grammys were on you? Yep. And, you know, give credit to the team that's been yeah. a two, three-year-old startup with yes. three engineers that's able to handle all of the live streaming for the Grammys or Coachella, for Dead Mouse, for Adobe in yeah. an enterprise space, um, in addition to, you know, pretty much who's who of the game publishers. Yeah, so we're, we are, um, at least I am very excited for Maestro. I think I can, I can speak for Anton as well. He's excited. In the words of Sundance, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, we're very excited. We'll, 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 link, we'll link in the description, not only, obviously, Matt's social, 
but a Maestro Social and their website for any of our listeners who's interested in, in learning a bit more. Um, Anton, I do have to mention our watch again, at least, because we forgot one really big story. Go ahead. Um, we got not only uh, Optic and, and Houston got their Overwatch spot, but the, but Philadelphia got a spot as well, and that's really particularly interesting um, because uh, Blizzard got a deal with Comcast Spectator, um, that is the um, the sports entertainment arm of Comcast. So um, they own the Philadelphia Flyers, for instance, and they got the rights to the um, to the Philadelphia spot. So. Um, that was really, really interesting, uh, partially for me because I think that the Comcast owned, you know, they own the Philadelphia so they have a space, which will be, a, which is a tremendous advantage because as the teams are moving away from LA in season two or season three, um, they all will need to have home bases and this will take away a lot of cost. And not only that, Comcast, they own a collection of sports channels called Comcast Sportsnet. So, you know, they can have places to distribute content. Maybe that's not the actual Overwatch League, but something else that can help make the team more recognizable for an older audience. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely synergies with owning a TV network and owning a sports team. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Yes Network has proven that in New York alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but also I think it's interesting because Comcast is poten- was potentially a client for the league, right? So it's interesting that they now own a team. Um, whether they would buy the exclusive rights to the Overwatch League or something else, but in theory, this was a this was a, a, a potential client. So it's interesting that they're probably not going to buy the rights to the league because that would be a direct conflict of interest. But at least they're they're getting involved in the league somehow. So Anton, you know, what what do you think about this? I mean, it, it's great that it's another team in the Northeast. Um, you know, I think having only one team up here was. Uh, Having two teams in Florida and only one team in the New York tri-state area was, you know, it's a little lopsided. Now it evens up a little bit. Um, you know, it seems like they have operational experience in terms of, um, you know, operating sports teams. They have venues they want to fill. Philadelphia is a great city. Um, you know, a little surprising that Philadelphia got a team before Chicago. But again, you know, you have Wesley Eden supposedly sitting on the sidelines waiting to buy in. Um, you know. Props to the Overwatch sales team. They're definitely getting buy-in. Um, they're definitely getting people that they wanted. And um, I'm curious to see who the Flyers will get for their team. And if I had to speculate right now, I'm going to go with Rogue. Okay, that's interesting. I'll, I'll put that bet, and then you know we can decide, we can call it out on a later show whether or not that's correct or not. So that's I think that they will buy the French team. I think I think it, I think they definitely have the the funds to do that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and then Matt, any thoughts on 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 both on the Philadelphia Flyers, but also on Wes Edens apparently looking to get into this as well. What do you know about Chicago? <laughs> it's cold. Yeah, it's real cold. It's really cold. They haven't really made a move, have they? Who, Wes? No. In Chicago. There's, as far as I know, there's no franchise there. Optic was originally from there, but then they decided to move to Texas. Um, I know that one of the downsides of operating events, sporting events in Chicago, was that, is that they have really strict union laws. So all mm-hmm. your costs are much higher. Um, at least that's you know from five or six years ago when I was there. Um, so while we still have Matt, I think we have a couple of investments that occurred this week, and it would be interesting just to go over them. Um, so the one that I want to cover is that the Australian startup uh, Gamers raised $3.5 million to fuel international expan- expansion. Um, I previously dealt with Gamers when I was at Azubu. They were one of the companies that uh, purchased Esportspedia. 
Um, I dealt with Riyadh. He's a very young CEO, but incredibly capable. And over the past year, I've seen him make some tough, dis- tough, but what I think are kind of necessary decisions for his business. I think he did a lot with the initial six hundred thousand that he received. It was either five or six hundred thousand, and he's now uh, received a little bit more money to expand his growth. I think what scares me is that he's running somewhat of a media empire, and ad impressions are going down right now. So you know, it's a little terrifying. I think that him pivoting to gambling is interesting. The fact that it's cryptocurrency and ICOs, but it's a little sketchy. I do also like the fact that they're doing gambling out of Australia, which has very favorable laws for gaming. Um, uh, Matt, have you looked at this guy at all? Um, I read the website every day. Yeah. But we have a competitor in the space already called Unicorn. Oh, okay. Uh, in esports betting, so I can't really comment on oh, the ICO to- or the gambling. That is totally fair. Mm, that's I didn't know that you were involved with Unicorn. Yeah. Uh, we made that investment in 2014. Okay. One of the original investors in esports. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Mo, since you are not invested in the space. Yeah, so I gamers have always fascinated me because, in my own words, I don't get it. But I understand why people would get it. So, um, but what's really interesting for me is... What I, do you mean by that? It's because they're, they, they're saying, you know, they're a social platform. And at the same time, they are, they're now pivoting into betting, like you said, Anton. And they also own .esports, which is a site I love. Um, so it's really, I, I, I'm always a kind of hesitant for these companies that are doing like three or four things at the same time. However, uh, one thing is, as, as you mentioned before, Anton, Riyadh is from what I've heard about him and from the steps he's made so far, I think there's a strategy behind it and it isn't just acquiring, acquiring, acquiring to just build up your value. Um, so it would be interesting to see how they're going to use .esports. So, uh, or all these other platforms for their other businesses. One of the numbers that he's been touting a lot is breaking into that 10 million users uh, level. And I know that previously from having run media companies is that once you hit that 10 million monthly users, uh, you get access to a whole new level of advertising. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of advertisers that just don't even explore anybody with less than 10 million users. And for them, I think it'll open up additional revenue streams and additional partner deals. Um, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, See, so all of us are in tech and esports, so we're pretty tech savvy. Do you guys have ad blockers? Yes. So how does that going to impact a media no, empire that's I mean, trying to monetize? I mean, that's exactly what I said before. It's like you know, it's scary for me that he's in a he's in a media place where ad impressions and ad values are going down. Just just to give one answer to that, one of the things I've seen when it comes to dot esports. Is I hate to use this phrase, but I've been pivoting to video more and more, um, especially on social. They're putting out a lot of great video content that is easily monetizable, or it's easier to monetize. Um, I am sure that if these steps are made, um, it is it is going to go well, and they're and they're going to take more steps to do native advertising or advertising that or, or program the ads in the in the. Um, so, in the actual video. So again, like once you hit that 10 million users, it's like you get actual sponsorships and you can brand your videos with things. Yeah, and that's, that's like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's what they're trying to go for because again, like they're probably seeing their, you know, what is it? The estimated ad block rate for esports right now is something like 80%. So, you know, it's scary. All right. So the other one I think is Genvid and they are, they raised $2.5 million for interactive live streaming. Um, I didn't do too much of a deep dive into this one, but you know, anytime that you have interactive video in a digital space, 
Um, it's, it's a great move. I think what you're seeing is, um, I think this is kind of like a nice little echo to what, uh, who's that NBA guy that, that went on record this week um, saying he wants the NBA to be more like Twitch? Adam Silver, the, yeah. uh, the, this, the commissioner of the NBA? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, so I think what you're seeing is it's like, you know, eSports innovates video much faster than traditional sports. And, you know, any moves in that direction, I think, are going to bear fruit. Yeah, and one thing about that, like one, I, I think it's great what Genwood is doing. I mean, they, they kind of, they created a developer's toolkit, which enables publishers um, and, and, and developers to, to make their own titles more viewable and more accessible and more accessible for people. That is great. Uh, it's kind of a smart approach to it yeah. because um, not all because a lot of because a lot of a lot of these kind of streaming platforms they after the stream is done they try ways to make it better. Where Genwood is like, no, we're actually going to work with the publishers, especially for up and coming publishers, to make when they're developing. Their, their games or when they're working on updates and patch to use our technology to make it more interesting. So it's kind of a B2B product, um, which is always interesting that with the yeah. No, I love uh, both Jacob and Chris are absolutely fantastic. Um, they build a great company and essentially what they do is they create technology that enables them to recreate the map in real time in 3D. So all of a sudden anything is clickable. So you can click on a character to see all his stats, his kills, what weapons he's using. Um, but it, because it's so interactive and because it's in stream, it allows them to come up with incredible new uh, ways to monetize through microtransactions, through placing ads directly in games. And I think one of the things that's very particular about this industry is that you have to be very careful with how you advertise. Um, you can't beat people over the head with just flash banners or banners, but if you can incorporate it into a game, where it seems natural, people will be open to it. They want to support the streamers and, and the games, and that's what these guys are working towards. No, and it's great because they're also New York-based, so it's oh, always great yeah. to have a New York-based esports company doing great things. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, to our conversation, I think uh, E-League with all the surface area they're trying to create for their sponsors, you know, they'll be all over this one probably by next week. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, talking about Talk about when we're talking about ad blockers and talking about the changing demographics and talking about Adam Silver and how he wants his games to be more to be more like Twitch. He said so. One of the things that was really interesting is that Limelight Networks they had a survey about U.S. males and and or U.S. U.S. males and females, but they found out that U.S. males between 18 to 24 prefer watching esports um, over traditional sports or TV shows. So um, I'll have one caveat. Is I actually reached out directly to Limelight Networks and I asked them if they, when they were looking at esports, if they included video game content creators like, let's say, um, a, a, you know, a, are we allowed to say PewDiePie this week? Well, that's the one that's popped into my head, but then you're always like, oh yeah, like PewDiePie or like Doctor Disrespect on Twitch. So people that are working with gaming but are not directly um, related to esports. And they haven't reached out back to me. I sent them a message this morning. Um, but I think this is interesting, regardless how, how, how exact this survey is. It's interesting to see that more, you see the trend of all these surveys to get more and more people are interested in esports. And that's really happy for me because that means that 
it's it has to become clearer and clearer to advertisers because they're looking at things like this. No, I think, yeah. Um, I did see Old Man Scoots on Twitter t saying that all the questions were heavily biased towards esports. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it was one of those surveys where to some degree they were looking for that answer. Maybe not looking for it, but they didn't, you know, they didn't optimize too clearly. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it's we know we know esports is growing. Uh, Matt's gonna Matt and Maestro are gonna figure out exactly how quickly they're growing. So, you know. yeah, and I think I think it, it leads back to the point that this shift is coming. It's not going to be a hundred percent shift. Traditional sports is going to keep on being huge. But the one thing that esports is ridiculously behind that is in monetization. So as you see the audience shift, you will not see the money shift um, as much until you get to the point where it's easier to monetize. Um, and, and that is still the biggest issue. So to put it this way, a CMO of a large um, brand told me that most brands are two years behind what we're doing and their agencies are between 18 to 24 months behind them. So you're, what you're basically saying is that somewhere around 36 months, we're going to have another upwards curve? That's when most of the agencies and the buying planners will probably wrap their heads around what's going on. It's interesting. I can, I can to that point, um, I know there's a, one of the top agencies in the, in, in the country and in the world, uh, so an agency that's probably as big as WMG. They're only now doing some, some more extensive research into esports. Um, so that says a lot, and I don't think that's a good good thing for the agencies, but it gives a lot of opportunity to people that know about the space to to help out. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, maybe these 20 millions and tens of millions of dollars that are being invested into these pro teams, you know, they're they're reading all this information. They're seeing, okay, yeah, the boom is, you know, it's going to start occurring in 18 months to 36 months. And then, you know, what is it? Mark Cuban was the one who went on record and said that the NFL is going to fall apart. Um, I think it was like t in 2014, he went on record and said, you know, uh, Hobbs gets slaughtered and the NFL right now is too big. Um, I think what you're starting to see that on the edges is, um, gosh, with the Rams, uh, it was like a week ago with the NFL season starting, they had something like 25% capacity filled in their stadium. Yeah. And, and this is, and, and just with the NFL, like we can go on, on this rant, but I, the NFL, they've gotten, they've been overvalued for the past, you know, five, six years. Numbers are going down every year. Last year, their excuse was the election. Mark my words, and this year, the excuse is going to be, at least for the first couple of weeks, um, it's going to be all the natural disasters. So like, oh, yep. uh, Miami isn't watching as heavily. Houston isn't watching as heavily, which are, which are reasons, but they're going to, which are factors, but they're going to use it as the one main excuse. Yeah. Now, yeah. um, so I think we covered a bunch of different investments. There were definitely other ones that, you know, we could have done a deeper dive. I think um, Expo La uh, State Space, I think, just got around their New York-based company. They're basically creating uh, drills for um, eSports. So the idea is it's like if you want to play, learn how to play against Genji, um, they'll put you in a simulation against Genji. I think they're, doing, they're distributing over, the, over Steam. I think it's great. We met the guy Jay from there. He's an NYU graduate, PhD. Um, Paul Allen invested in uh, a team management startup. I think that, you know, from my perspective, you know, all these team management matchmaking services, they're a little oversaturated. You had Smash GG, you know, they're all kind of 
they all feel like they're doing the same thing. They're trying to like capitalize on network effects and you know connect people. Um, I'm personally not a fan of that space. I feel like every week there's somebody who's trying to help you build an esports team. Um, it's not exactly how esports teams work. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Mo, was there anything else that you saw that was interesting? There's a there's actually one one more art, one more thing I want to talk about, and this is a kind of a story that was going under the radar. So my favorite fighter, uh, GSP, George St. Pierre, actually announced at DreamHack Montreal that he is starting an esports organization. So uh, isn't he also working on the comeback? I don't know what's the comeback. Into UFC. Oh yeah, he's yeah. fighting pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, He's working on a, on something called Esports Montreal, um, which is going to be a professional esports team. I think they're called the Grizzlies or something like that. And then like an, like they have a couple of, name. A, yeah, yeah. a couple other sub, very Canadian a couple other sub companies underneath them. So they basically want to be an esports company. So I just you know I'm on, I'm very torn because on one hand I'm extremely excited that that my favorite fighter gets esports or at least is entering into esports. Um, I'm, 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 I hope they do really well. Um, on the other hand, um, trying yeah. to do so much at the same time makes me a little hesitant and having someone who is GSP being your face, who is not that known in the esports world. I, I think if you're asking an average 16 year old who GSP is, they won't know. So I think that kind of star power doesn't work in esports. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of like Mayweather starting up his own ICO. You know, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of problems and liabilities there. Cool. Listen, Matt, I want to thank you for um, uh, joining us today. Do you have any closing comments for the listeners at home? Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you guys continue to grow the podcast and that it'll come back. That I was the first guest. Yeah. Um, and that would be fantastic. Well, we're, we're excited to get you on uh, next time when, when you announce an, yet another esports investment. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so we're, we're already looking forward to that moment. Cool. And uh, in case if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, I am Joker Can't Spell. Maurice is M R. It's M R Eisenman. So M R E I S E N M A N on Twitter. And I'm at Matt Kaliski, M A T K A L I S K I. Cool, and I'll link that in the description. Guys, this has been Esports Boom, Episode 5. Stay tuned for next week's episode.